we're all wired differently. And we're going to talk about the gender different wiring, but we're all wired differently. Stop judging yourself. You can judge your sin if you want, but don't judge the genetic way you're made. Because it's fruitless. Trying to change yourself and be somebody else because you think that's what a good Christian looks like. It just doesn't do you any good at all. So, you know, one of the greatest things, somebody who said, What's, what do you like best about getting old? <laughs> Thank you for asking the question. What do you like best about getting old? I said, I think maybe with age comes self-acceptance. Because, you know, you spend so much of your life trying to change yourself and you find out it's completely fruitless and it doesn't work. And you come to this point where it's pointless and you just either accept yourself and love yourself or die. And when you hit that and you start to come to self-acceptance, it's just the most peace-bringing, joy-filled thing. Where you can look at yourself and say, I am a genuine loser. It is, I'm serious. It is amazing. I'm talking for all of us. I, I am, you are, we're all losers. But there's this great God who loves us. I mean, who's just nuts about us. And apart from his grace, we're nothing. But with his grace, we're everything. And coming to that place where you can love yourself and accept yourself as you are warts and all that's freedom and knowing who you are as a man or a woman where on this continuum between the masculine and the feminine you were designed to be coming to understand that brings this incredible acceptance which is not arrogance and it's not self-centeredness and it's not narcissism it's the truth this is the way God made me I should enjoy the way God made me are you with me so that's important and ditto for your wife or your husband. Wouldn't it be cool if you could see your husband that way? This is the way God made him. I will oppose his sin for the rest of his life, but I will not oppose his nature. I won't oppose his DNA. I'm going to learn to accept and vice versa, men for women. I mean, that's, that's grace in a marriage. So what was your takeaway from last night? Anybody? What did you take away from last night? That Shelly knows everything about you. <laughs> and loves me anyway, right? There's the miracle. She, wasn't she good? I was so proud of her. I just sat there so proud of her. She did such a good job. Anyway, um, the takeaway for me out of, out of my thing was really simple. Um, the Bible's full of paradoxes, things that don't appear to make sense. Like... If you try to save your life, you lose it. And if you're willing to lose your life for God, then you end up finding it and saving it. And that is a perfect wor uh, word, perfect verse for marriage. If you're into marriage for what you can get and to complete you and to fulfill you and to make you happy, you are going to have a very unsuccessful marriage and live in frustration and disappointment. But if you can go into marriage and you can say, my marriage is to glorify God, and I am going to learn how to be selfless. I'm going to learn how to make unselfish choices with this person God has given me to, given me to. Not them to me, me to them. I'm the gift to her, and she's the gift to me. If we both go into it like that, we end up having a spectacular relationship. If either of us reverts to, gosh, you know, I'm not getting my needs met. 
then immediately that marriage is in trouble. So in a sense, marriage is, imagine you're reading a Christian magazine and uh, you know at the back there's always the ads and there's always some self-improvement ads like a five-step book for business success or this or that or some course you can take. Imagine you see this little ad in the back of the magazine and it says, have the character of Mother Teresa. Have the patience of William Wilberforce. Nelson Mandela, you know, be a mighty Christian man or woman. Send away and get this course. And you're thinking, oh, wow, would I ever like to have that kind of character? Would I ever like to be that kind of person? So you sign up. And when it comes back, it's a marriage certificate. (laughs) Marriage is the God-designed way to confront us on a daily basis with our selfishness. Well, (laughs) I used to say marriage is the self-improvement course from heaven that you never would have signed up for but for sexual need. And that's cynical, right, Scott? It's cynical, but there's some truth about it. Something happens to us and we get infatuated and the chemicals and the... pheromones and all the other moans go off in our head and we fall in love with this idealized person we hardly know and we call it love and what it is of course is an infatuation and a dream and then you you hook up and you get married and very quickly reality sets in and you have a choice to make at that point you can maintain the dream clinging to the dream and saying this is what marriage is supposed to look like this is the ideal I signed up for this is what I wanted when I went into this thing and by God I'm going to change that person to become that ideal that I married you're right it's a joke because it's not going to succeed or you can look at them and say wow I had all these ideals about marriage And they don't fit hardly any of them. And who is this person I married? They don't seem like the one I was dating. And you can just accept reality and begin working with that. And then see your marriage improve. And the problem today is that we get our cues about marriage mostly from Hollywood. Look, we get our cues about marriage from people who pretend for a living. These people lie for a living. They make up things we call fantasies. You know what a fantasy is? It's the furthest thing from reality you can imagine. And they tell us how to be married and what, quote, true love looks like. And we have these crazy, bizarre ideas of what it's going to be like when we meet the right person. There is no right person. You're the right person. Be the right person. Be the right person and you'll find the right person because whoever he or she is is going to love you because you're being the right person. Good Lord, whatever you do, don't take your cues about marriage from Hollywood. I mean, look at the, look at their success stories. They've all been married, what, a hundred times? They ought to know. Anyway, enough of that. Vented. I feel much better. <laughs> Mark Levin look like an optimist. 
I really like Mark Levin. I'm sure you do. <laughs> the, guy, the guy can preach, man. I mean, when he gets wired up and his voice goes up an octave and he's just like screeching, and I'm driving along feeling powerful listening to him. I love that guy. Anyway, communication, it's all about gender. Basic gender differences. We're going to do a, a, a quick look at a little, um, little graph here. Go on to the next one. Oh, never mind. Sorry, that, I don't want to say that. We said that already. Go on to the next one. There we go. Okay, we're going to look at some gender differences really quickly on this graph, and then I'm going to go in and talk about them uh, one at a time. And, guys, I'm not saying that this is the way men are all the time, and this is the way females are all the time. I'm saying that on these poles of gender between the masculine and the feminine, we are somewhere on that continuum. But this is what the extremes look like. Do you understand? In other words, the essence of or, or the extreme of or what masculinity or femininity is all about. But for masculinity, there is a need to initiate the creative use of power to bring, when it's good, to bring positive change to the world. And when it's bad, that <laughs> destructive, uncreative use of power turns into horrendous things. And we see that all the time. Despots and injustice, and greed, pure seeking for power for its own sake. That's the masculine gone wrong. But when the masculine is doing what it's supposed to do, it initiates the creative use of power to bring change to the world. The and that, that's its primary orientation, all right? It's an action verb. The feminine, on the other hand, is about response. It's about interacting relationally with the world around it. I think that the masculine says this, I want to act first, I want to bring change, and then if I have the time, I'll understand what happened. And the feminine says, I don't want to bring any change till I understand what I'm dealing with. There's a, there's a different orientation to how the male and the female see the world. So the male wants to exert power and the female wants to nurture in relationship. The male seeks to bring change. The female seeks understanding. Now, the primary reality for the masculine are facts. They care about concrete things. They care about things and they care about facts. The feminine emotions make up the primary reality. And I really want to go into detail on that because that right there, the one view of what's important as facts and the other is what's important as feelings and how I feel about something is one of our primary problems in communication. <laughs> this next one sounds really inflammatory, but we'll explain it in a minute. The male talks to make his point. The female talks to discover her point. <laughs> I see some heads going up and down, and it's a bunch of women, and I really appreciate that you're not taking this as an insult, because it isn't. And we're going to get into this in a minute, because this one right here, is a huge problem in communication. And we're going to discuss that and flesh it out. The male, because he cares so much about power, he needs to feel powerful. 
He absolutely, no matter the situation, can't feel like he's incompetent or unable to cut it. He can't feel like he's on the verge of failure. When he feels like he's about to fail, that his respect is threatened, that he's powerless, he will either strike out or retreat. He'll either turn it into a war to protect himself and his image, or he'll just back off and retreat, and that'll be the end of the thing. Ladies, have you ever seen that in your husband? Guys, we break into two groups. How many, when you are on the verge of failure with your wife, or she's confronting you with something where two steps later in this argument, you're going to have to admit that you were useless and hopeless and incompetent. How many of you, most of the time, strike out with anger and counterattack? Any hands? I've never experienced that before. <laughs> <laughs> how many of you simply lie to yourself? Okay, and how many of you retreat and just try to walk away and get away and, and find a place to hide? That's me. <clears throat> That's me. Just get, get out of the room as fast as you can, change the subject, find a reason to get in the car and go to Home Depot and buy a tool. <laughs> that's, how we, that's how we process our pain. We buy a tool. Do you guys ever see that Home Depot commercial? It's my favorite all time. It was only running for about 10 minutes. I think it's because it was so good and so essentially true. This guy and his, his wife are shopping at Home Depot and he's standing in the tool section and he's got two cordless drills. One is, uh, oh man, I'm about to show my incompetence because I don't use cordless drills, but um, I, I use plug-in drills. Anyway, he's holding this one and it's like, I don't know, a, tw a 20, 25 amp, Brian, what are the different powers of drills? Okay, 12 volt and an 8. He's got one drill in his hand and he, and he goes, this is the 12 volt. And then he picks it and he goes, mm, this is the 18 volt. And she's standing there looking at him like, what are you doing? And he goes, I can't, I can't decide. And he turns when he says, which one is really me? And she goes, it doesn't matter, just pick one. And he turns to her and he goes, Sometimes I think you don't know me at all. <laughs> Isn't that perfect? Guys, that was funny. Good. So for, for the male, um, respect in the relationship is everything. He gives up when, when he believes you don't respect him. Uh, for the feminine, she seeks to be understood. Her pride's not on the line. Her heart's on the line. She just seeks to be understood. She wants to be really known and she wants to be appreciated for who she is. It's not a big power respect issue. It's a connection issue. She feels that if you understand her, you've made a connection and you're relating. And if you don't understand her, you're not making a connection. And this relationship is not happening and there's a disconnect and there's a distance. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. For men, most men, for the masculine, sex, the act of intercourse, is a route to intimacy. 
In other words, if a man feels disconnected from his wife and wants to feel close to her and wants to know that everything's okay and they're really together, he wants to make love. Because afterwards, he feels really connected to her. Conversely, the feminine sees intimacy and connection as a route to sex. We have a really serious problem here. Really serious problem. So, I'm just going to tell you something flat out, okay? I'm just going to be somewhat revealing about our marriage. Shelley's not here, so I hope I don't get in a lot of trouble about this. We recognize this early in the marriage. That I feel close and connected after sex, and she doesn't want to have sex until we feel close and connected. So we have a real serious problem. So, here's how we worked it out. And this sounds rather contrived, but it's really been good for us. She said, I know that you need sex X times a week. And I said, yeah, that'll probably do it. <laughs> We're talking servicing the car according to the manual. Some people don't use the manual, but then you pay the price later, okay? So you check the manual, and she says, I know, you know that this is going to be a need, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, that's fair. And uh, she said, but you know, it's really hard for me just out of the blue. And I said, yeah, I get that. So I said, okay, how about this? How about you choose the time and the place and the way, and you initiate, and I'll respond. And then you get it when you feel connected, and you don't feel used, and it's going to be safe for you. How about we do that? And that took all the pressure off of her. And it was just like watching somebody, her whole countenance change, and she thought that was great. And that's the way it's been for years and years. So I'll be in the middle of a football game. Oh, no. <laughs> no. The definition of torn. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I, just, I know it's dirty, but it just popped into my head. And I had to go with it. Yeah, I was polishing the TV. I was, clean, I was cleaning the screen. The definition of torn. But, what, but what's happened is it's really turned out to, to the best. It re, for us, it functions really, really well. And, and she said to me the other day, she said, you know, you can initiate. And I said, yeah, I know, I get that. And she said, no, you really can. I want you to have that freedom. I, I want you to to enjoy that. But when you do, just talk to me for five minutes. <laughs> she did. <laughs> you see, guys, I, I need to explain this to you in graphic terms. Listening is foreplay. Listening is foreplay. If you make that emotional connection, she feels not like she's being used, but like she's joining with someone that she really loves and is honored and valued by. You put the time into some conversation and some listening and just some caring, and you will receive reciprocally what you need in the relationship. Okay? We'll talk about that a little more too. But Now let's go through these one at a time. Let's look at the first one, which is the masculine initiates... To take action and change the world. This is the next slide. 
And the feminine, on, on the other hand, is responsive. She is concerned with understanding the world before changing it. The guy just wants to get the job done. Here's a great illustration. It's not mine. I think it's Gary Smalley's, but I really loved it. He said, the difference between the masculine and the feminine is most clearly seen on a shopping trip. Send a man shopping. They are single-minded in their pursuit. It is essentially a hunting trip. Stock it, shoot it, bag it, take it home, and brag about it. <laughs> Let me say that again. Stock it, the hunt. Shoot it, the kill. Bag it, that's paying for it. Take it home in the car and brag about what you shot. That's a male shopping trip. He knows why he's going. He knows what he's looking for. And he's simply out to get it. A woman on a shopping trip is a very, very different thing. Oftentimes, she does not know what she's going to buy. She has no particular object in mind. She enjoys looking and touching and relating to all sorts of objects, and most of them she isn't even going to buy. She just wanted to be with them for a short time. <laughs> Hello, little knockoff Gucci purse. You move me. You complete me. Oh, look. She is busy relating to everything around her. She relates to all sorts of stuff. She doesn't know what she's going to buy until she's bought it. Until she's done. Masculinity is about exerting power. The solution in the male mind to every problem is more power. In a man's world, a vehicle can never have too much horsepower and a TV can never be too big. I mean, seriously, you know, we were at Costco the other day and I actually said, our living room is a California living room. It's only this big, right? It's your typical California living room. We see an 80 inch sharp TV. It's bigger than the living room. And I go, that'd look great in the living room. She's like, we'd have to knock out a wall to put that television in our, yeah, what's wrong with that? I got the tools. Are you saying I can't tear down a wall? Is that what we're talking about? Femininity, on the other hand, is concerned with relationships. Power is fine, but its value has to do with how it improves valued relationships. Power is fine, but it has to serve relationships. There's got to be a bigger reason than just going out and blowing something up. Oh, guys, this was so funny. The guys in our church went on a, a shoot at the range last Saturday. Was it last Saturday? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was. Yeah, Rick. It was last Saturday. Yeah. And, yep. <sighs> We're shooting guns, big guns, powerful guns, handguns, long guns, machine guns. Don't tell anybody about that. And um, actually, we weren't. And you're wearing ear protection and eye protection and... There's guys shooting all over the place, and it's really loud. And the only conversation you have is, nice gun, nice shot, wow. That's the whole conver male conversation for the entire time we're there. I come home from the shoot, and Shelly says, how was it? And I say, it was great. And she says, how was the fellowship? And I go, fantastic, we blew stuff up. Like... We, we did not have one meaningful conversation of the whole 30 guys. Not one guy said, how do you feel about your gun? 
You know, I mean, there was the emotional content was, yeah, blew that thing up. And we actually considered that great fellowship. We all feel closer to one another now than we did before. If you want a successful men's event, blow something up. Build something. Do something. But whatever you do, don't have them sit around and talk about how they feel. Dead air. Feel? Feel? Men see success in marriage as how they have used their power to provide physical things and protection and a home for their wives. That's a successful husband in the, in the eyes of a husband. Women see success in marriage as how loving the relationship is and the quality of the communication. Right? Am I wrong, girls? Percentages, yes, of course, always. We understand we're on a continuum. It's not a black or white thing. But t the tendency is we see as men our success in provision and use of power. Women see it in the quality of the relationship. So we can't understand why she's unhappy because look at everything I've, quote, done for her, unquote, except listened. Gee, I did everything except listen to her. And she's complaining. Well, that's because her primary reality is different and you haven't given her anything that matters in her primary reality. She's not ingrateful for the provision. She's just incomplete. She just needs something more. And you're not good at it. You're not good at it, guys. You're speaking a foreign language when you sit down to listen and talk about feelings. And you feel like no matter what, you're going to choose the wrong word and mess it up. So I'm going, to trick, I'm going to give you ways to trick her into thinking that you're listening. Now, I've been using it now for going on 10 years, and I'm telling you, all this stuff I'm about to give you, it works. Glad Shelly's not here yet. <laughs> Women see success in their relationships, and here's a key deal. And we talked about, I talked about this with someone after the session last night. In over 30 years of pastoring, I can tell you that most Christian women, their chief concern for their husband is the quality of his relationship with God. That's their biggest concern, is his relationship with God. And when they see his relationship with God healthy and functional and regular, they relax and they begin to trust his leadership. Because they know, yeah, he's just a man and he might mess it up, but he's wired to God. He listens to God. He reads God's Bible. I'm safe with this man. Because, see, if relationships are her principal concern, there's no relationship in the world more important than her husband and God. Right? And there is no relationship in the world that affects her well-being as much as her husband's relationship with God. So, guys, if you want the respect that you are wired to need, you establish your routine relationship with God and let her see you doing it. And when she sees you doing it, she will relax and respect your leadership and she will end up happy, I mean, happier than you've ever seen her before. And you won't have trouble leading in that home. Even when you're wrong, she'll follow you. 
Because she figures God can correct him. And she won't have to nag because she knows if I pray to God and he talks to God every day, God will talk to him and God will change him. God will tell him what to do. Shelley told you last night, I went through a period of about a year where I was really unsure of my purpose. What was the next 20 years going to be? What was that supposed to look like? And uh, that's kind of like being adrift spiritually. It's not a good place to be. She prayed for almost a year about me discovering, rediscovering my purpose. She never spoke to me once about my purpose in that year. And it was three months ago in the backyard in prayer, and I prayed to the Lord, and I said, because I felt this lack in my life, this kind of a driftedness, and I said to the Lord, what do you want to be for me for the next 20 years? Isn't that cool? What do you want to be for me? Because I know he wants to be something. And he said one word. He said purpose. As soon as he said purpose, I knew it was him. And I knew he was absolutely right because that's what I was feeling I was lacking in. So I said to him, what's my purpose? And he started showing me all these younger guys in the church. Just a whole string of them. Now the next 20 years is about influence. It's about mentoring and influence, and you're going to pass on things to them. Isn't that cool? And then two weeks later, I just have to tell you this because it's so cool. Back in 90, whenever Yeltsin was standing on the tanks in Red Square, what year was that? It was the year of, of the, the big change in, in Russia. We arrived in Russia the day he was on the tanks to do a ministry trip up in the Kola Peninsula. It was really cool. And uh, anyway, it was a wonderful trip. So about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I told John about this. I had this dream. And in my dream, I'm walking the streets of Moscow, Shelley and I. And she wasn't there on that trip. We're walking the streets of Moscow, and this guy comes up to me who was one of the local Russians that we did the tour with back in the early 90s. And he recognizes me, and he says... Let's have coffee. So we go to have coffee, and I notice as we're walking to have coffee, he's wearing all the same exact clothes that I was wearing when I was there 20 years ago. All the same clothes I was wearing. And it's just really weird. So we're sitting and having coffee, and there's an open window of an apartment two doors down from the coffee shop, and we're outdoors on the, on the uh, sidewalk. And there's an open window... And I hear this guitar playing coming out of the window and this singing. And the song this person is singing is a song I wrote when I was 22 years old. That no one in the world, I mean, it's never been published, it's never been recorded. It's this song I wrote when I was 22 and nobody knows it but me and two other people. And this song is coming out of this window and it's perfect. The guitar playing is just like I play and the voice is just like mine, but it's not mine. Guys, it was the freak, it was freaky. I mean, it was bizarre. And I'm looking up at that window in my dream thinking, this is impossible. This, this can't be. And then I wake up. And I'm lying there in bed, and I know it's from God. I said, what does this mean? The clothes and this song. And the Lord spoke immediately. And he said, you have far more influence than you will ever imagine. 
and you need to use it. And that fit perfectly with what he said about purpose. She prayed for over a year that the Lord would speak to me on the issue of purpose because that's what he revealed to her. But she didn't talk to me about it once. She just kept taking it to the Lord, taking it to the Lord, taking it to the Lord. And when the time was right, he spoke. And that realigned me for the next, hopefully, 20 years. When she knows that you have a relationship with God and you listen to God, she's okay with talking to God who will then talk to you. If you don't have a relationship with God, she'll talk to you. And she'll talk to you constantly. And she'll do it until you call it nagging. And then you get angry or you retreat. And then she figures, he's not listening to me. And she ups the ante. And she cranks up the nag knob. Spinal tap to 11. But it's one louder. And she'll just keep doing it because she thinks you're not listening. And you're just trying to get away because you're faced with failure. The Hebrew word, um, the phrase suitable helper that's used in Genesis when God created woman, he gave her the name suitable helper. And uh, in the Hebrew, suitable helper is one who stands in front of and opposite to her man. That's what it means pictorially. One who stands in front of and opposite to her man. And a, a lot of scholarly rabbis have suggested that the understanding of that phrase is that the woman's God-given role is to remind her husband of the centrality of his relationship with God and to let him know when he's straying. Guys, does that sound like a description of your wife sometimes? Because I know for mine it is. Shelley's incredibly jealous of protecting my relationship with God. Sometimes she'll say to me, have you had your quiet time this morning? And I'll say no. And she said, I could tell. <laughs> Go have your quiet time, you jerk. <laughs> Nagging is the ungodly way of accomplishing that role. But her role, God-given, is to be jealous of your relationship with God and to worry about your relationship with God, gentlemen, and to try to find ways to get you to do it. And if you just do it, she'd relax. You wouldn't experience nagging and everything would change in the relationship. And by the way, having your quiet time is also foreplay. Everything we practice that, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> does if you want your wife to relax and respect your leadership you have a regular quiet time you spend time with God okay number three masculinity sees its primary reality as made up of facts and things and this is consistent with the use of power to bring change in the world just like that if you I said it already if you want a successful men's event build something or blow something up or do some activity together Femininity sees its primary reality as made up of emotions and people, relationships and people. And this is consistent with that 
responsive relational mode. My office at home is just down the uh, hall from Shelley's. So uh, I overhear a lot of her conversations. Now, I don't know who she's talking to, so your identity is safe, but I know this. I overhear a lot of her conversations, and you guys are always talking about your feelings. I hear feeling words coming out of that room constantly, all day long. I have to take testosterone pills just, just to survive in my own house because there's so much relational stuff oozing under her door and coming down the hallway, and it's, it's ruining my life. We're on staff together. Uh, with John and, and the rest of the team, so we attend a lot of the same meetings, Shelley and I. And we'll be driving home from these meetings, and uh, every single time, the, what, she, what did you think of that meeting? Oh, it was okay. Well, and then she goes on, and it's all about how the people were feeling, and how she felt in relationship to their feelings, and how each person was relating in some way, in a feeling manner with others. She judges the success of the meeting according to how people felt within it. And I am sitting there wondering, what meeting is she talking about? <laughs> and then she says, what did you think? For me, most of the time, all I can remember is what decisions were made and whether I thought they were right or wrong. Can you see how easily a conversation can go astray? And, f and we fall into miscommunication and misunderstanding. Most difficulty in communication comes because our primary realities are different. Shelley says, you never tell me you love me. And I say, that is not factual. Just three months ago, I remember telling you I love you. <laughs> I am certain she is making a statement of fact, so I dispute the facts and correct her. She is actually speaking her feelings phrased as fact. She's saying, I feel unloved, bonehead. <laughs> now, I am certain at this point that the discussion is resolved because I have accurately answered her erroneous statement of fact. She is now certain at this point that I do not love her because I have not responded to her negative emotions. Because her primary reality is emotional, she must try on a rack of emotions like a rack of dresses from pure black through the whites. Only after trying on all of them can she say factually, this shade of beige is me. She speaks to discover her point. We speak because we already have one. Can you see how we can have a problem here? The masculine four communicates to make a point. Because masculinity's primary reality is based on facts, it communicates to express statements of fact. For us, the fact comes first and the communication comes second. Because why communicate if you don't have a point? The feminine communicates to discover its point. Femininity's primary reality is based on emotions and relationships. There is a rich and differing range of emotions to choose from to perfectly describe how you feel about yourself and your significant relationships. It's not simple. There's a whole grade of feelings. So she's got to communicate and work through some of them to discover her true emotional reality. She has to communicate to discover her point. Where does this leave us? 
And your point is, you don't have one? Why are we talking? I could be watching American Chopper, but I'm not. I'm listening to Dribble, an emotional outpouring of insignificance without a point. Honey, I love you. Let's make love. At least we can redeem the situation somehow. Okay, guys, do yourself a favor. Go get the book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. It's a really good book. When I read that book, it changed me. I saw what he was talking about, and I saw my wife doing everything he said. And I saw me doing everything he said. And I realized why this thing isn't working. And this is one of the things that he said. She is not sure how she feels about her relationship with you. So she begins to describe her possible emotions. And they just happen to be a rack of dresses. And there's jet black on one end, all the way through to perfect white in the other and every shade in between. So she begins trying on these dresses to see which one is really her. Sadly, she starts at the black dress, the jet black dress. And she puts that on and tries it out to see how it feels. And the trying on uh, and putting it on, trying out how it feels, is what she says to you. And it's incredibly horrible. It's so bad, you can't believe it. So, of course, you say, that's impossible. I'm not, I'm not, I couldn't be that bad. The whole economy is not my fault. The jobless rate, it can't be my fault, honey. You've overstated things. You're, you're wrong, and I, therefore, I don't have to listen anymore. At some point, if you shut up, she's going to arrive at the dress, which is her, where she puts it on and goes, it's me. You know how women do that? That dress is you. Those shoes are you. You know, she's doing the, is this me? Is this me? Is this me? It's me, honey, look. I don't hate you like I did a minute ago. This is really the real me. And you're going, oh, God, I've married a lunatic. And you're sitting there listening while she tries on all these black dresses, and you are rightly shocked. It can't be that bad. I didn't kill the puppy when I backed the car out of the garage yesterday. You believe she's making statements of fact about the relationship and you can't believe it's that bad. So you panic and you start trying to talk her out of one black dress after another. After all, there's so many facts that suggest it can't be that bad. So you're sure you're on good ground. So you just keep telling her, yeah, honey, it's not that bad. It's not all my fault, blah, blah, blah. Listen, she was moving towards the lighter dresses, but now she reaches for a darker one because, quote, you've invalidated her emotions. You didn't take her seriously. Now she's got evidence for why you're as big a jerk as she thought you might be. And now she has disrespected you. You can't believe that she's rejected your best efforts to help by simply speaking the facts. And so you do one of two things. You get angry and turn it into a real fight or you just give up and walk away. And that's that for several days. Is this familiar to anybody in the room? Ever had a moment like that? Guys, honestly? 
Exactly. Can I just go watch football, something I understand? People trying to kill each other over a piece of leather? <laughs> just do that. Listen, this is miscommunication because no understanding has resulted. Neither of you have understood the other's primary reality of, or motives for communicating. And by not having that in mind, you think she's speaking your language and she thinks you're speaking her language and you're speaking two foreign languages and it's just going like this. It's not just going like this, it's an explosion. Because you're both frustrated by the failure to communicate, the lack of understanding. And we're going to get to the solution in a minute. We're going to get to the solution, guys. And I can tell you that it works because we've lived it for the last eight years. The masculine seeks to be respected as powerful. The feminine seeks to be understood. You're trying to be helpful, powerful, by talking her out of her irrational, non-factual emotions. Have you ever done that? Honey, you don't need to feel that way. Shut up, you idiot. I do feel that way. Oh, but honey, there's no, you don't have to feel that. I'm sure she didn't mean it when she said your dress looked like a bag. Maybe she meant it in a complimentary sense. She really does like you. No, she doesn't. She hates me, and so do you. Oh, honey, I don't hate you. Yes, you do. You never listen to me. She's communicating to her, her, arrive at her true feelings. But sadly, you just disregarded her feelings and her communication, and now she truly feels hopeless about the relationship. You can't understand how she could so easily dismiss what is so obviously factually helpful. And she can't believe how you could be so insensitive. Here's the key. She's not looking for help in solving her problems. She's looking for someone to share it with and understand it as she processes it. And the result of all this mess is no sex tonight. And as I said, the masculine values sex as the root to intimacy. The feminine values intimacy as the root to sex. We use sex to make an emotional connection. For most women, the emotional connection is a way of making sex an act of love and therefore safe. So gentlemen, listen. Listening is effective foreplay. You want your wife to feel connected to you. You want her to feel safe. You want her to appreciate you. Listen. To her emotions. They don't have to make sense to you. If you be patient, she will arrive at how she truly feels and it will never be as dark as where she started. And it won't all be your fault. And you will have given her one of the greatest gifts that you can give to a person is that you took her seriously and you just listened to her. Our marriage eight years ago was not in a good place. I mean, Shelley got sick right after we got married. That was a horrendous thing. We still cope with the effects today. By the way, I've never seen anyone rise above their physical circumstances like my wife has. I agree. It's saintly. She copes with a level of pain all the time that most people never, ever have to experience. And she won't allow herself to fall into self-pity. In the early days, she'd fall into self-pity once in a while. And I mean, I'd empathize and empathize and empathize for three or four or five days or a week. And then finally, I'd realize she's slipping into self-pity and this is ungodly. 
So I would go to her and I would say, Honey, I love you like crazy, and I've done everything I can to listen to you, but what's going on right now is self-pity and I can't be part of it. It's wrong. And she would throw a fit. I'm in pain all the time. You... You don't, eat, you don't understand what it's like. If you had any idea what this feels like, you wouldn't be saying what you're saying right now. And she'd just explode all over me. And I'd say, honey, what you're doing right now is you're falling into self-pity. And it's the worst sin of any sin I know of. And it'll destroy you. So I just can't be part of that right now. And I'm walking away. And she'd throw up all over me with her anger. And that would last about three days. And then she'd come back to me and she'd say, you were right, I'm really sorry. I was falling into self-pity. And we'd start again. And we did that for a long time to where now she hardly ever falls into self-pity. And when she smells it in the room, she hates it. And if I ever even say, honey, I think you're getting close to, she'll go self-pity, I know. And that's that. She won't tolerate it in herself. She has grown so phenomenally through this illness. I have nothing but respect for her. But eight years ago, our marriage was not in a good place. Maybe I was just tired of coping with her illness and stuff and not seeing much hope. And I was having my quiet time in the backyard. And the Lord, uh, I said, is there anything you want to say to me? Uh, you know, you got your journal. Is there anything you want to say to me? And then you wait and you see what comes into your head and you write it down and you reflect on it and decide later if it was the Lord or not. It's a really good thing to do. Is there anything you want to say to me? This thought puffs in my head. What's the greatest gift I give you? I know the right answer, salvation, eternal life, but that's not what came into my head. He said, what's the greatest gift I give to you? And I thought about it and into my head popped this and I said it to him uh, you really listened to me I don't know why I said that it had to be him prompting me somehow because I never would have thought of that but I said you really listened to me and he said you don't listen to your wife busted so like a fool I said what do you want me to do <laughs> don't ask that question it always has an answer. What do you want me to do? And he said, you know how you two go over to the spa every afternoon around 4.30, the end of the workday? I said, yeah. He said, I want you to sit and listen to your wife for one half an hour without responding. I said, Buddhism sounds good. <laughs> he said, I want you to sit and listen to your wife every day for a half an hour without responding. <laughs> I knew right away I was cooked. This is not good. Well, like a fool, complete idiot, I told her of that conversation with God. The joy, the unbridled joy was frightening to behold. She said, we start today. I said, yes, we start today. I'm not exaggerating. We go over to the spa. I'm sitting there like a whipped dog waiting to be beaten. Like cowering. She goes, can I start now? I got this sitting on the edge of the spa. 
Start. Because in a half an hour, this is over. So I mean, I'm not making this up. I'm like, oh God, oh God. And she starts puking up black vial from hell. And it's just like everything in the, the economy is my... Well, it wasn't the economy then. It was the Soviets or it was the Iranian. I don't know. The world is my fault. And it's just this barrage of unfactual crap. Gross exaggerations. I mean, horrible stuff. And, and halfway through, I can't take it. And I go, wait a minute. She goes, you're not allowed to talk. God told you you can't talk. Where's the leather? Give me a whiskey. At the end of the half an hour, I unloaded on her. That's, yeah, this isn't true. And you said this and that three months ago, I did tell you that I love you and blah, blah, blah. And cancer is not my fault. I can prove it. Sometimes it's genetic. And we go on like this. And I kind of puke out my self-defense. And she's just like, I knew you were thinking that the whole time, jerk. The first time was not a success. The second time was not a success. It went on like that for at least three weeks of black dress after black dress. The only reason I put up with it is because God told me I had to do it. And then at the end, I'd, def I'd defend myself for a good 15 or 20 minutes afterwards, and she'd just sit there stewing. We kept doing that for about, for about three weeks. It was all black dresses. Then it started to shift into gray. They weren't good. They were still charcoal gray, not jet black. Some shade, perhaps, of maybe a little bit of gray showing in the black. And that went on for weeks. I'm not exaggerating. It was months like this. After about three months, I noticed that the black dresses were fewer of them. They got tried on and discarded faster. She moved quicker into the grays. And oftentimes she would end the half an hour with a kind of a beige dress, which was, believe me, a huge improvement from what we had been living. Six months of this. Within six months, there was rarely a black dress. There was a few gray dresses, some mid-tones, and a lot of whites. And the really cool thing was, rarely was it my fault. Now the stuff she was talking about was life. What happened in another relationship? What was frustrating over here? How her health has been? Da-da-da-da-da-da. And I'm just sitting there listening, and she's figuring out what she really feels and what she really thinks. And pretty soon, at the end of the half an hour, I can offer a little piece of, well, you know, you could try saying this to so-and-so, or you could do this, or you could do that. We've been doing this every single day. Other than vacations when we're away. We've been doing this every single day for eight years. And it is a part of our life. And when we don't do it, we notice the relationship drifting apart. And when we do do it, it keeps it strong. And my gift to her is just to listen. And here's the tricks. Gentlemen. Really? Hmm. Oh, I didn't realize that. 
Sorry, she slow down. <laughs> really? Yeah? Wow. I didn't realize that. Oh. Tell me more. Hey, if you're going to lie, you might as well go all the way. Tell me more. I had no idea. Wow. I do wow a lot. Wow is huge. Because it shows you have emotions too. Wow. Wow. I know a lot of it's fake, okay? Because a lot of the time you just revert to tricky little tricks. But the fact is, even while you're lying, pretending you're listening, there's a part of you that actually is. And you're beginning to understand how she thinks and what matters to her. And you begin to get a glimpse into this new world that you don't live in most of the time. Now you're learning to speak French or whatever the other language is. And they say that when you really understand a foreign language, you're able to think in that language without thinking in English and then doing the translation and then speaking it. You can actually begin to think in that other language. Guys, it may be possible at some point to begin to understand how a woman thinks and how rich her emotions are and how deep they go and how important they are to her. You begin to get a glimpse of that. And that's when you start to really respect your wife because you start to have understanding. This is one of the most interesting, complex people I will ever know. She is so different that my life is richer because I begin to see how she sees reality and how important these relational things are. And I begin to take more care of mine. And this is God's intent. In the beginning, you won't, I mean, you're not going to arrive at great profound stuff in the beginning. All you're going to do in the beginning is learn to love somebody, right? Give her a gift. Just listen to her. Try to understand. See it from her perspective. Encourage her to talk. Help her process it. And don't come back with the facts all the time, because you know what? Facts are highly overrated. Politics hasn't used them for years. You know? Okay, we're done. So here's what we're going to do. You got these papers, hopefully.